Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Mumia Abu-Jamal has been serving a life sentence for the murder of a white policeman in Philadelphia in 1981. In that time, he's been heralded as a revolutionary and condemned as a killer. Writer of hundreds of books and essays, Mumia has sparked a massive free Mumia movement and lent support to contemporary calls for change like Occupy Wall Street. In the new documentary, Long Distance Revolutionary, A Journey with Mumia Abu-Jamal, director Stephen Vittoria explores his writings, his speeches, and his work in this compelling documentary on the life and times of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Stephen Vittoria, welcome to Film School. Mike, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being here. Um, there are a lot of people who are listening to, to the sound of our voices here that do not know very much, if anything, about Mumia. Um, I think it would be very helpful in terms of just sort of describing kind of the broad outlines of his life and his work and, and how um, a little bit about how you got to know him as well. Well, many people, Mike, uh, if they are familiar with Mumia, they, <clears throat> they believe that he just surfaced on the planet on December 9, 1981, when he was charged with the murder of Philadelphia Patrolman Daniel Faulkner. Uh, many believe wrongly convicted and wrongly charged. Um, but the story is much deeper than that, uh, and folks who have created uh, what I believe to be a false narrative of Mumia Abu-Jamal over the last 30 years have created a narrative that says that this man, uh, while in prison, became kind of a Johnny-come-lately journalist, revolutionary, and in a way to save his own ass inside of prison became a cause celebrity uh, to bring as much attention to himself and off his case as as possible. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, Mumia, prior to December 9th, 1981, was a, a brilliant, up-and-coming journalist in the city of Philadelphia and on the national scene. He was a reporter for National Public Radio and all things considered. Uh, he, he covered the uh, he covered the presidential campaign of Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter in 1980. He covered a number of major stories. In fact, he won the Columbia University Major Armstrong Award, uh, which is a coveted award for a series he did on the Pope's visit uh, to Philadelphia in 1978. Prior to that, as a, as a very young man, he left high school. Uh, and joined the Black Panther Party when he was 14 years old. By the time he was 15 years old, uh, he was one of the bright, shining stars of the party, and uh, he was using his pen and his typewriter uh, as his choice of weapon, and that's something he has done his entire life. Uh, and uh, so the narrative of Mumia Abu-Jamal uh, as a Johnny-come-lately journalist is just uh, completely false, especially if you look at the mountain of evidence uh, that tells a completely different picture. Um, and I became, I became interested in Mumia uh, quite a 
quite quite honestly, just as a consumer, I bought his first book back in the mid '90s, which was called Live from Death Row. Um, and Mumi was a very smart writer at that point. He wrote about what he what he knew and what he was experiencing at the time. And uh, through outlets like uh, Amy Goodman's Democracy Now and other Pacifica outlets, I started to listen to Mumia and became just uh, pretty much enthralled with this man's ability from a dark, dank hole on death row with no computer, no access to the Internet, uh, in solitary confinement for really two decades, uh, pumping out the kind of material uh, that, that really is only, uh, only happens to people that have a great deal of uh, wherewithal around them. And he has absolutely, absolutely nothing. So uh, that, that was the root of, of my, own, my own personal uh, acknowledgement of, of Mumia. And then in 2005, I was making a film, actually it was 2006, I was making a film called Murder Incorporated, Empire, Genocide, and Manifest Destiny. And all I was trying to do in an hour and a half was tell the 500-year story of the March of Empire from the moment Columbus stepped foot on Hispaniola to, uh, at that point, George Bush's drone attacks. Uh, it's been replaced by Barack Obama's drone attacks. Yeah. And um, I had asked Mumia to uh, answer 25 questions that I had written and asked him to record them, and I was going to use them in the film. And we had a, a, a really free and easy relationship back and forth making that film. And I, and I finally decided to pull the plug on that film, but I had those 25 recorded answers. And when I started to, quite frankly, kind of peck around and look for what my next film was going to be, it, uh, it sort of materialized, and I'm sure you've had other filmmakers tell you that on the show, that mm -hmm. sometimes it's not a... Um, it just sort of happens. It's very organic, and I realized that the story I was attempting to tell about American imperialism and the last 50 years of American history in the 20th century charted very nicely with Mumia's own personal story. Mm -hmm. So I was able to sort of chronicle both at the same time in this film, and uh, that was the genesis of Long Distance Revolutionary. Now, in the film... Um a long distance revolutionary, a journey with Mumia Abu Jamal. You use uh, a number of well-known um, artists, uh, uh, authors, uh, and and such, and historians, journalists to articulate his words. Um, what point did that? Is it was it a matter of, uh, well, from the point of view of of what you how you envision this documentary. Um, going sure. did it was it something that you you knew you wouldn't have enough access to mumia that this seems to have been a, a great way to tell people his story through his own words was getting uh ruby d angela davis alice walker cornell west uh peter coyote dick gregory getting them involved is that is that was that what was that how did that play out in terms of your charting the the course of this documentary I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head. Probably for you know fifty to sixty percent of my decision, you know, they have not allowed a camera or a recording device into a Pennsylvania prison since 1996. It's unofficially known as the Mumia Rule. Um, and in the mid 90s, see, there was a lot of access to Mumia, and the state of Pennsylvania, the United States government, and uh, the Fraternal Order of Police, and other 
folks on the on the right side of the political spectrum uh, uh, just could not stand the fact that this man had a wide open microphone and was using it uh, as a journalist as he had done his in, his entire his entire life. Mm. Um, so I knew that I had to fill in the blanks. I've told folks, Mike, that making this film without complete access to Mumia would, would have been like making Jaws and not having the shark. <laughs> um, it's, it's really, really difficult. Um, so that's why I, I, I did that. And I, I was a producer on Alex Gibney's film about Hunter Thompson, Gonzo. Mm -hmm. And I, I, quite frankly, I, I studied that film greatly because he had Johnny Depp doing a lot of the readings, as you know, in that yeah. film and yeah. uh, trying to bring the literary spirit of, of Hunter and the same thing with Mumia. But the other reason I tapped into all of these, these great folks that, that you've already mentioned uh, is that Mumia over these two or three decades um, has had a, a lack of a better word, a posse of people um, who have not only stood by him from uh, from the standpoint of his case and the standpoint of them thinking that he is wrongly convicted and wrongly imprisoned, uh, but they are people that have been uh, impacted greatly by his writings, mm -hmm. by his courage, uh, and by his by his revolutionary politics. So it was kind of a it was a very neat fit to have Cornel West and Angela Davis and Alice Walker and Reuben Hurricane Carter and um, quite frankly, a host of other folks uh, come in and breathe life into his words. Um, I also made sure that I, I invited a number of, of unknown actors, uh, as you saw in the film, to, to bring life to his film. And I tried to make them of every shape, color, nationality, size, gender. I mean, I wanted them to be everybody because Mumia um, has been someone that has, uh, many people have called him the voice of the voiceless. And yeah. uh, Mumia has never seen color. He has never seen gender. Um, in fact, uh, someone in the film, I believe one of the ex-female Black Panthers, said that Mumia was never a chauvinist. And one of the uh, negative aspects of the Black Panther Party was there was definitely some chauvinism going on, and uh, Angela Davis has written about that. And uh, yeah. uh, the women in the party did not see that in Mumia. So uh, um, it was very easy to bring these people together and kind of cobble together a, a patchwork quilt of his work. And I, I also would, would echo that I think the, uh, the charge of uh, chauvinism and sexism what it was also could be leveled just as easily against the uh, the the left um, the not the Black Panthers but the the left of the '60s and '70s as well. There were a lot of a lot of feeling feeling among uh, women of that period that the that the left at that time certainly was uh, could be charged uh, with with that. No uh, doubt, no doubt whatsoever. In fact, I'm starting a new film uh, on Abby Hoffman right okay. now, okay. and uh, that was one of the. One of the big hits on on Abby was yeah. some of the yeah. some of those charges. It's, it really was still sort of uh, yeah. It, it, there was there was there was I think as we've all grown up and seen uh, the, how the how the world really operates, uh, you can look back on that period of time and and see a lot of naivete and a lot of a lot of things that we were charging others with. They were we were we could stand at trial for for as well for Absolutely. for our attitudes and. Uh, uh, by the way, and I wanted to point out, this is a total geek, film geek question to ask of you. You start the film with uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Right. 
who I love, who's just I, one of the most overlooked actors in terms of the range of his work, comedy, drama. He's just fantastic. He surely is. But uh, he was in Bob Roberts, <laughs> and he played a journalist who, I won't give it away, but ends up in jail or being, you know, arrested and uh, the rest of it. It There's echoes of Mamiya's story in, in Bob Roberts and, and Giancarlo's uh, role in it. I just kind of, I, I don't know if there's any correlation at all whatsoever. It's just me being a film geek, but... Uh, well, it very well could be because <laughs> Job, uh, Esposito has been a... Uh, has been a longtime supporter of Mumi. In fact, in the film you saw, uh, we got some incredible footage that we were very lucky to get our hands on of, of, of Giancarlo uh, reading from Mumia's death row notebook yeah. before it was even a book back in 93, 94. Yeah. So he's been a, um, a long standing, committed, uh, for powerful pe- person. For people him. who aren't familiar, Do the Right Thing was the first film that I remember him in. Um, and uh, he's fantastic. Yeah. So, anyway, getting back to the film itself. Uh, so uh, in terms of, um, well, I want to talk a little bit about something that we, we talked off mic about. Um, uh, Mumia's uh, opportunity to see, uh, to see this film, um, Long Distance Revolutionary Journey with Mumia Abu-Jamal. Tell us a little bit about just the turns and twists in, in, in he being allowed to see this film. Yeah, up until a very uh, short while ago, Mumia did not have television, as I've said. He has no computer. Uh, he has no access to a computer, no email, no Facebook, no Twitter, nothing, zero. He's completely old school. Uh, we would love for Mumia to see the film. Uh, you know, his, uh, some of his family is in the film. It's, it's, it's his story. He deserves to see this alternative narrative, which I contend is the definitive narrative of, of his life. Uh, but the state of Pennsylvania, the Department of Corrections, and there are quotes around the word corrections, mm-hmm. uh, refuses to let us bring the film in on a, you know, on a computer, on an iPad, uh, any way we possibly can. Uh, the, the only way, and it's not going to happen now because we've already made another sale, but uh, uh, he does, he told me he does get the Black Entertainment Network on his, on his small television, on his cable, and I know that they picked up the uh, the recent Angela Davis movie and uh, Free All Political Prisoners. And uh, um, had we put the film on that network uh, and made a deal with them, he probably would have been able to see it. But uh, mm. the Stars Television Network beat them to it, and um, we went with them. So hopefully, at some point, Mikey will see it. Um, I've actually made the case with his attorneys that I believe that the film should be seen by him because it, it acts as a character witness for him mm-hmm. for his life as he's, uh, you know, researching and studying other ways to bring <clears throat> his case back um, into a courtroom, into the into the public forum. And, uh, yeah, you know, they, they didn't laugh at me right away, so I thought they, they may have thought it was a, um, a halfway decent idea, so they might try that. But I would love for him to see it, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have him clamped down pretty good, even though he is now in the general population. He's no longer on death row. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's still difficult to get books in to him. I am, uh, I had mentioned Murder Incorporated before. Uh, Mumi and I are writing his next book together right now, mm-hmm. and uh, we've decided to take that first documentary that I never finished um, and, uh, and 
just conform it into a nonfiction book, and we're having a ball writing it. And um, it's it's even tough for me to get in research materials to them now in books. And uh, um, so it's uh, um, <clears throat> Mumia likes to say that his existence right now is slow death row, uh, as opposed to the the quickening that was um, that almost came down on him before. We're speaking with the director of uh, Long Distance Revolutionary, A Journey with Mumia Abu-Jamal. It would be Stephen Vittoria. Um, how is, so you, you sort of alluded to it, how is his general attitude, spirit? Um, he's, he's, he seems, from the uh, editorials, uh, the, the, the recordings that I've heard from on places like Democracy Now! and others, uh, he seems such a strong um, uh, person, uh, determined person, um, but, you know, as you said, sort of uh, death penalty on the installment plan, if you will, uh, yeah. is uh, got to just take the life out of, yeah, I don't care who you are, but how is, how is, he, how is he doing? Uh, he is doing, you know, he does so well that he sometimes forces us to remember that he is in a living hell, mm-hmm. and because his spirit has been strong enough to transcend that living hell, um, we sometimes think that it's okay that he's there, that this is, you know, well, you know, this is who Mumia is, and it's, you know, it's kind of cool, and he does it. And it's, it's really a horrific situation, uh, especially as an innocent man, 30-plus years uh, on, on death row and in prison. But he has managed to, um, as any revolutionary does, he has managed to dig down to a place inside of himself. I, mean, I don't know, Mike, you and I probably couldn't do 30 minutes on no. death row. Um, he's he's in a whole other place, and uh, when you go and visit him, um, he makes you feel at ease. Uh, he, Alice Walker in the film says that he absolutely has those dark moments in his midnight hours, as only she can poetically say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he never lets us see that, and it's just a testament to his strength. It's a testament to his courage. And since he has been moved off of death row into the general population, where he's very, very well respected, um, I believe his work right now is better than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you just alluded to that. His commentaries, um, the maturation of his of his career as a writer, I think, is sort of on a meteoric rise right now. You know, as I said, he started talking first about and writing first about about the prison industrial complex, and he still does, obviously. But now, as he has his entire life, he takes on the American empire uh, and the repressive apparatus of the American government, and I don't know if there's anyone doing that better right now than Mumia Abu-Jamal. So I think his his work right now is is... Um, incredibly strong, and um, it's an honor to write this book with him, and it was an honor to to create the film uh, based on his life. I want to let people know how they can find out more about the film. Uh, the website is, as I recall, mumia-themovie.com. That's right. Uh, and you can go there and find out um, a- about this. This is also a film that is, a uh, documentary came out this year, uh, being considered for an Academy Award, so... I would hope that for a lot of reasons, um, not not the least of which is the quality of the film itself, but that there's a kind of movie uh, and, and subject matter that often doesn't get the kind of run with the Academy because it is so controversial, or at least he's perceived as such. 
but we we need to to let people get out and an opportunity to see it. Uh, you can, as I said, go to mumia-themovie.com, find out more. Also, in the film itself, um, uh, with the DVD, you have a bonus feature called Manufacturing Guilt, which gets, right. in, gets into the details of the case for people who are wondering, putting uh, aside his writings and, and, uh, and such, that what happened, how it happened. Um, there is certainly a quality about what has happened with Mumia that does remind me a bit of Fred Hampton, uh, going back to uh, what for some people is an obscure figure from the, from the 60s. Uh, the death of uh, Fred Hampton was certainly a, 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 an American crime uh, by, right. by, the, by the, our national police force, the FBI. Um, there's just so many parallels with so many other people who have gone before him who have told us the truth that we didn't really want to hear. And uh, or often seemed that we didn't want to hear. So, um, and Mike it, Mumia says that all the time. He never, he never posits himself as someone who um, is going through this alone. He realizes that uh, he's he's speaking for his ancestors who were enslaved for hundreds of years. He's speaking for his brothers and sisters who went through the Black Liberation Movement in the 20th century and into the 21st century. And he sees himself as as one of many fighters for for justice and uh um you know there's a quote in the film from Huey Newton toward the end of the film where I quoted Huey as saying the first thing a revolutionary needs to know is that he's a doomed man and uh I think Mumia from the very beginning knew that if it wasn't him it would be someone else but when you are that uncompromising and you fight that hard for the truth um Power concedes nothing, and they went after him um, as hard as they possibly could, and uh, they continue to this day to go after him. And I think the film sheds a light on that kind of draconian and 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 harsh corruption of the American judicial system. It, it uh, sort of tying um, Mumia's story. Just in a couple minutes we have remaining, I, I, I just got done interviewing a couple of weeks ago. Interviewed the director of uh, Let the Fire Burn. Which also takes place in Philadelphia, in in approximately the same time frame as very good film. Was was that part of the 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 stew, the mix in all in what happened with Mumia and his case? Was there a residual effect in in either direction? Do you feel, or is that something? Absolutely, I think that Mumia's um, longstanding support and reportage on the MOVE organization in the late 1970s um, and his continued reporting from prison on on MOVE and his constant indictment of Frank Rizzo yeah. and Ed Rendell and the corrupt Philadelphia establishment there. They knew exactly who Mumia was on December 9, 1981, because for 10 years or 15 years, uh, he had been a marked man in Philadelphia. In mm-hmm. fact, in the film, we recreated one piece where uh, one of the inspectors, George Fensel, every time he used to see Mumia, he used to put his hand up and cock it, his thumb and his forefinger like a gun, and he would just look at him and he would pull the trigger, you know, someday mm-hmm. I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they knew exactly who he was, and Mumia was, was not part of the MOVE organization, but he was someone that refused to just not report the truth on them, and uh, um, it, 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 it absolutely is part of why he is sitting in prison for 30 years. 
Well, it, this is a terrific documentary um, and uh, an important story. People who choose to watch it can either agree, disagree. Obviously, uh, that's uh, your own journey, your own personal decision. But you need to know why people are so drawn and uh, and so inspired by the work of this man and his story and how it fits into the fabric of American history and the continuum of of the power and the powerless. Well said, Mike. Well, thank you so much, uh, Stephen Vittoria, the director of Long Distance Revolutionary, A Journey with Mumia Abu-Jamal. Thank you so much for being on Film School. And thank you for offering me the chance. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 